0: Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit LifeCenterNYC.com. Well, it's such an honor to be in this house. You know, we don't take it lightly. I was sharing in the first service, anytime we get to travel and be here because this is family. This is covenant. I've known these guys since I was a, a teenager. I'll be 45 in June with two babies and married later. I used to cry on Tammy's shoulder about the desire to get married. She has an anointing for marriages, so come up on the prayer line. But it's such an honor. I was thinking about a prophetic word years ago that one of my spiritual mamas, Heidi Baker, gave about How in the end times, God would have certain cities and places that would be hubs that would carry the glory of God in times of crisis. There would be little hubs. And I believe that this house is a prophetic hub. And so in the middle of everything that's going on, in the midst of the shaking, we all know there's a shaking, right? Anybody still confused about it? Just turn on the news, right? But the Lord is raising up hubs, and this house is going to carry a measure of the glory of God for New York City. And so we don't take it lightly when we get to come here. And um, so, yeah, I just want to pray. My husband's carrying a message Uh, that he's been honestly for the last six months. I just want to pray and put a demand on the anointing. If you guys can just stretch your hands. Uh, So Lord, we thank you for the the word of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the invitation. And we just put a demand, God, on the anointing on his life. We pray for revelation knowledge. Lord, we ask for ears uh, uh, ears to hear and eyes to see what the spirit of the Lord is saying and what the spirit of the Lord is doing in the earth and And we say all attention, Lord, on you, all eyes on Jesus, so that we can move forward with clarity and insight in this time in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I don't
1: want to get lipstick. I know. (laughs) I don't mind your lipstick. (laughs) Such an honor to be with y'all and to be in my wife's old stomping ground. <laughs> y'all married me a, a East Coast girl. I married a Yankee. Yeah. Sure y'all. <laughs> so I'm straight out of Fort Worth, Texas. <laughs> and uh, married this Bronx girl. And such an honor to be with y'all. And again, Bill and Tammy, good friends for years, man. Nah, nah, they know all the best places to eat. <laughs> but we have the most amazing conversations and and so I, I so value a friendship. I remember what, the first time I came here, I just bawled my eyes out because I just kept seeing over and over in, in, in worship, I love New York. And I kept seeing the heart just like pulsating. I love, and I, my, my love for New York just went, ah, uh, my heart beats for you guys. I love you. I love New York. I love how, I mean, y'all are the work ethic for the whole nation. Y'all love to work and make things happen. But the lovers of God here are so intense. And I, I love y'all. So <clears throat> if you would, turn with me in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles, right? I've been a Bible school uh, professor for about 10 years. I was it Christ for the Nations. Sorry, Bill, I, forgot. I don't know, I told you, but uh, my, my bio has changed. So <laughs> I was at Christ for the Nations for about 10 years. I was a director in the marketplace leadership major and did that for about 10 years. But then when the whole thing happened, 2020, during the pandemic, George Floyd and all that. I feel like the Lord thrust me into contending for you know healing the you know all of our divisions in our nations, especially the 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 ones the, ra- the racial division, but also to contend for revival. How many of you know? I mean, f- f- those who know me know. I mean, yeah. I, sometimes they don't know how to introduce me to places. I, they they introduce me as a historian. Some places introduce me as a uh, as a expert in reconciliation but you cut me I bleed revival yeah, I mean every I just it's just so I can get into a room where it's at a secular university or whether it's at a church conference or whatever and sure, we got to share me but hopefully before it's over we'll all go to a deeper place of intercession and everything else so so if you don't mind I'll, let me tell you what I'm known for what I'm known for is a 200 year old kettle pot how many of y'all have heard me share this story right? Used by the slaves of my family. They used it for cooking. They used it for washing clothes. But secretly, they used it for prayer. They were owned by a slave master who literally beat them if they heard them praying. But they prayed anyway. And they would use that kettle pot to muffle their voices so the slave master wouldn't hear them praying. So I started taking that pot around the country in 2001 to talk about the prayer bowls in heaven. Right? Revelation 5 and 8 said what? the, The golden bowls in heaven full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So every time you pray, it's collected not in a, a wooden bowl or, or a plastic Tupperware bowl. It's, it's a golden bowl because that's how precious your prayers are to God. There's a prayer bowl over Manhattan. There's a prayer bowl that's over New York. There's a prayer bowl over this nation. God's looking for a new generation to resource the prayer bowls. And so I, I was taking that part around the country to Talk about not just the black Christian slaves who prayed, but also the white abolitionists and revivalists and how they prayed into being the first and the second great awakening. Had, had We're not for those revivals. Slavery wouldn't have ended. But I had this dream with Dr. King in it where God dealt with him my unforgiveness issues with some of the racism I experienced growing up in the South. So my friend Lou Wingo said, hey, share that dream at the Lincoln Memorial MLK Celebration Day. And uh, it'll be, we'll have a powerful time, powerful prayer. I mean, so I, I did that, but there was a white guy who was led to that gathering because he had a dream. He had a dream by the man named Lou Engel, and he didn't know who Lou was. He didn't know what a Lou Engle was, so he typed his name in, in Google, and boom, up pops the face of the man that he saw in his dream. And he freaks out. <laughs> So he came to that prayer gathering, and he and I became friends. We've been friends for 18 years now. Well, fast forward. That white friend of mine, Matt Lockett, he found out that the Civil War ended in his family's front yard. So we thought, man, what a cool coincidence. I have this kettle pot where slaves pray for freedom. You have this house where General Lee fought his last battle. Wow, what a cool coincidence. But then we stumbled on more research and realized it was my friend Matt Lockett's family who owned my family where the kettle pot came from. And we met at the Lincoln Memorial, both led by dreams, to the place where Dr. King said his I have a dream speech, I have a dream that one day the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit together at the table of brotherhood. Right? I mean, the story is crazy. But this is the year of the table. That's why I love what y'all are doing with this Alpha Series. This is the year of the table. <laughs> and uh, so all that to say, that's what I'm known for. Written a book about it. The book is we got Hollywood producers trying to turn it into a movie, but let me tell you what I'm here for. We're here for all the smoke. Turn with me to Genesis. Well, let's start first at uh, go to e- Exodus 19. Exodus 19. All the smoke—that's what I would call this message. All the smoke. Exodus 19, verse 4. This is God talking. He just delivered the nation of Israel from uh, from Egypt. It's like a million and a half or three million people, something like that. And verse 4 says, "Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians; how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself." Thank you for our <laughs> Anyway, let's <laughs> think about rough. Verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Everybody say a kingdom of priests. And a holy nation. In the Old Testament, he was. this is what he was contending for. Kingdom of priests and the holy nation, these are the words that thou speaking to the children of Israel. Now skip down to Exodus 20, go past all the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and now those people coming to Mount Sinai to meet with God. God told them to fast and pray for three days, consecrate themselves, no marital relations. So for three days, wives had conversations with their husbands <laughs> without arterial motives. <laughs> and they also had to wash their clothes, so they finally got all their laundry done, three days. It takes me about that long to get all laundry done, right? Three days of fasting, so they could probably wear clothes they couldn't wear three, three days ago or three weeks ago. And they all show up to meet with God. This, the God's going to reveal himself as the one who part of the Red Sea and delivered them. So, look what it says here. Um, Start at verse 17. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house as the last of the Ten Commandments. Verse 18. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet coming from Mount Sinai, and the mountain was smoking. Some translations say, and they saw all the smoke. Isn't that what the young people say now? Right. Don't want that smoke or whatever. They didn't want that smoke. And the people saw it. They removed and stood for all, verse 19. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. Where was God? In all the smoke. All right, one more scripture and then we'll pray. Well, let me just pray right now. Lord, we love you. I just thank you so much. Lord, for Bill, Tammy, this amazing leadership. Thank you for Life Center being right here in the middle of of the city. And thank you for your life being released through this house. And, God, we thank you for taking us to a deeper level of intimacy and fellowship with you in the fear of the Lord. Give us the grace to respond to your voice in this hour. Break off the fear of man. Break off the man-pleasing spirit and teach us the fear of the Lord. Beyond just the, the, the fear of the Lord that gives us wisdom, we thank you for the fear of the Lord, Psalm 25, 14, that gives us greater intimacy with you. We want to know your ways, God. And we bind the devil in all his works In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can't forget Slewfoot, right? <laughs> all right, so... Uh, Definitely want to dive off into this message. But before I do, there's this other amazing thing that God has had me staring at lately. And uh, I was on extended fast. You know, pay attention to the things that God has you focused on when you're fasting. Sometimes it's not just something in the Word, but something that captures your attention. So in in the middle of this extended fast I was on this year, I kept rehearsing and looking over this crazy story I found from the 90s. It's actually kind of connected to what we're talking about today. Uh, it's a story about two guys uh, who are bank robbers. They're bank robbers, and one of them said to the other, hey, I know how we can rob this bank and not have the surveillance cameras pick us up. So the other bank robber said, hey, let me try that out. He tested it out, and he thought it worked. So they went out, and they robbed not just one bank, but two. And as they walked out, they looked at the surveillance camera, kind of waved, smiled, and walked on out with the loot. Of course, the police got the surveillance video, gave it to the local news station. And before midnight, both guys were caught. But as the second guy <laughs> was was caught, they were taking him into the police station. in the back of the, of, the, of the police car, he says, yeah, but I had the juice. We had the juice. How did we get caught? And so the police officers, after they took him in, they thought, what did he mean by that? So the detectives bring him into the questioning room. They said, "Uh, what did you mean by you had the juice? What were you talking about on the way to the station? He said, oh, well, you know, I did my research. And my buddy told me that the main ingredient in invisible ink is lemon juice. So we figured if we put lemon juice on our face, we would be invisible, and there would be no way that the cameras could pick up our image. He said, I I literally did. He said, I "I took lemon juice, I put it on my face, and I took a Polaroid camera, and I took a picture, and it didn't come out. Now, how many of y'all know, like, like one in ten of those images on those, okay, probably one in three of the images on those Polaroid cartridges, they wouldn't come out sometimes. Either that, or he missed his face altogether when he took the picture. So based on that one test... They decided to go out and rob two banks. So he said to the police, he said, so, you know, I'm just curious. How did y'all catch us? And they said, uh, the surveillance video. <laughs> and he was like, there's no way. They said, okay, we'll show it to you. So they showed him the surveillance video, and he said, you doctored it. You doctored it. There's no way you picked this up because we had the juice. We were invisible. And he refused to believe that that's how they found him. He was so convinced in that. So two social psychologists named uh, David Dunning and Justin Kruger, out of Princeton, and uh, Brown University at the time, they did interviews with him and a couple other folks, and they put together some studies. And here's what they come to find out. We have so much information out right now. People get so excited about the first thing they learn about something. All of a sudden, they become er- experts in nothing and everything all at the same time. <laughs> They have no idea all that they think they know, how much they have very little understanding of what they think they know, and have no desire sometimes to try to learn the rest of the iceberg of everything else that they they don't understand. In other words, people right now are becoming confidently incompetent, right? I mean, y'all seen it. You know, you go to Christmas, the Thanksgiving, you have that one cousin that's talking about that new thing that they just learned about. But they wish they could write a book about it and they sound like an expert in five minutes reading about something or seeing one little documentary. Right. And you you like you like with your phone, you're doing Google and you're like, um, I wonder if he really knows how far off he really is on this thing. <laughs> right? And you got the expert, you got the, the student in the room who knows more, but they still learned enough to know that there's a whole lot more they don't know, so they don't feel confident to step out and say anything. You have the expert in the room who's had five, 10 years of studying that thing, who understands all the nuances and complexities of that thing, but he's hearing this other person, like, I don't want to embarrass him in front of everybody, but at some point, I need to step in and stop it before it gets too confusing in the room. <laughs> <laughs> right? And it's because people are drawn to what? Certainty. Right? This person is speaking with such certainty and such zeal and such passion. We're supposed to be passionate, yes. We're zealous, but in all you're getting, get what? Understanding. Because knowledge puffs up. Makes you pretty pretty prideful. And you can get to a place with knowledge, especially new knowledge, that you just learned. You can become blind to all the things you don't know. And I was looking at that, and the Lord said to me, this is exactly what a religious spirit looks like. It's when you think, <laughs> really the spirit is when you think, there, when you think you understand all there is to know about God and everybody else, that you get it all figured out. And you're totally blind to what you don't know about all those things. So <clears throat> I wrote a little thing a little while back called Confessions of a Recovering Pharisee. Because I've been that person with the lemon juice on my face a few times in my life. (laughs) So I wrote this little document called Confessions of a Recovering Pharisee. I'm going to read just a few of these. So uh, I'm going to read some of these. Now, some of these, I mean, they're serious, but it's kind of funny, too. So if you can't say amen, say ouch. But you might have a religious spirit if where you sit in church means way too much to you. You might have a religious spirit if wearing a suit to church on Sunday. Means way too much to you. You might have a religious spirit if wearing a t shirt and blue jeans to church on Sunday means way too much to you. Emphasis here on what? Way too much to you. You might have a religious spirit if you think the more money you have, the more spiritual you are. You might have a religious spirit if you think the less money you have, the more spiritual you are. And all the people in the prayer movement said, Amen. God, please break that poverty spirit off the prayer movement. <laughs> you might have religious spirit if you're constantly striving towards innocence because you always feel guilty. You might have religious spirit if you must call people by their title before you say their name. You might have religious spirit if you refuse to say someone's title before you say their name. You might have religious spirit if you judge others by their actions and judge yourself by your intentions. You might have a religious spirit if you insist you don't have a religious spirit. You might have a religious spirit if you're more focused on pleasing people more than pleasing God. Because here's the deal. When you seek to please God, you will serve people. When you start, But when you focus more on pleasing people, sooner or later, you will stop serving God. <laughs> You might have religious spirit if how things look matters more than how things really are, which means how things truly are will never get addressed. You might have a religious spirit if you major in the minors and sacrifice innocent people on the altar of your distinctness for the sake of being right. You might have, might have religious spirit if you rather have people know how much you know instead of know how much you care. You might have a religious spirit if you always say the right thing instead of the real thing. You might have religious spirit if you thank God that you're not like the other lesser Christians. You might have a religious spirit if in your mind your spiritual equity goes up into proportion of the well-known people that you know and name drop and often. You might have a religious spirit if you cannot receive a rebuke or correction. You might have a religious spirit if you're always rebuking and correcting and harshly. <laughs> I'm going to throw this one in for the prayer folks because this is a house of prayer. You might have a religious spirit if prayer becomes mechanical and you feel relieved when your prayer time is over after you finish your prayer list. If that's the case to consider your condition. When your conversation is over with someone you love, you don't feel relief and check them off the list. You might have religious spirit if you pray more to be seen in public than in private. You might have religious spirit if you embellish spiritual counters and testimonies. You might have religious spirit if you place more emphasis on what is wrong in other churches or people. You might have religious spirit if you believe that God has appointed you to fix everyone else. And there is more I could keep going on. And the last one is this You might have religious spirit if the entire time I was reading this, you were thinking of all the other people who need to hear this instead of you. (laughs) The religious spirit. So that's what happens when you don't have the fear of the Lord on you. You reduce everything down to formulas. And becomes more about knowing the book of the Lord instead of the Lord of the book, And we get off, and we miss the heart of God in in these things. So so we see there in in Exodus, what was God after? He was after what? A nation of priests who were going to know him. So I want to talk a little bit about, one, this nation of priests that he was after, and also I want to talk about going into a deeper place of intimacy and fellowship with the Lord. In this whole thing, and moving beyond just a religious understanding, but a relational one, but but embracing God for all of who He is, in the fear of the Lord. So, we see this with the children of Israel. God says, "What well, I want a nation of priests to come before Me." So, these nation of priests, they were they were Levites. So, let's look at first where these Levites came from. Look at uh, Genesis twenty nine. Genesis 29, starting in verse 31, there's a story of Jacob and Leah. Y'all know the story where there's Jacob, there's Leah, and then there's Rachel. Who did Jacob really want to marry? He really wanted to marry Rachel, but Laban, their father, deceived um, Jacob. And so he winds up marrying both daughters, in a sense. And so he stuck with the both of them. His heart was for Rachel. He spends 14 years laboring for Rachel, gets Uh, Leah in the seventh year. So, verse 31, God sees Leah's longing that that, that Jacob will be joined to her. She has six kids by Jacob eventually. But look what happens with the first three, verse 31. And when the Lord saw Leah was hated, he opened her womb. One translation says he had favor upon her. And Rachel Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Reuben, for she said, Surely the Lord had looked upon my affliction, and now, therefore, my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bore another son and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she named him Simeon. Then verse 34, And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be joined unto me, because I have borne him three sons, therefore, His name will be Levi. Levi literally means to be joined together with. Now, she had six sons, but this third son really embodied, like, the relationship and the longing that she had for Jacob. So it's interesting. God takes this son, Levi, and he says, okay, Leah, understand that longing. I want to be joined together with you, too. I want to be joined together together to this nation of people, and I'm going to use your sons and those descendants of Levi to be this tribe of priests who be joined together with me so I can be joined together with others, and that's what these priests are going to do. They're going to have a longing in, for intimacy with me, and I'm going to meet that desire. The desire you're looking for, Leah, you're not going to get it in Jacob or any other man. Wow. I'm going to fulfill that longing in you, and I'm going to... Use your sons as an example of my longing to be joined together with my creation, so they become the priesthood for the whole nation of Israel. And so, all the priests had to be anointed. And anointing is powerful. We need anointing, right? It's like going from a handsaw to a buzz saw in ministry, right? It represents the Holy Spirit. But did you know that the anointing, first and foremost, in the Bible, it represented perfume. It didn't just represent perfume. It was perfume. Exodus 30, I think it's 30 and 30. That the uh, anointing oil it talks about all the different things it was made of. But then it says that precious oil and the mixture, no one else could recreate that. And no one else could wear it except for the priests, the kings, and the utensils in in the priesthood. Only those things that were set apart, the people and the things set apart for ministry to the Lord could have that fragrance on if anybody else wore that fragrance, they would be cut off from Israel. And some scholars say that to be cut off from Israel was to, mean, was to, was to have you, you killed and your whole family line wiped out. So it's an exclusive fragrance, exclusive fragrance, nobody else could wear that fragrance except for those priests. And sometimes when they anointed kings. And so I was looking at that. I was like, God, that's, that's a little extreme. And uh, the Lord said, no, 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 no. You don't understand It's all about being set apart, this set-apart fragrance. Yeah, it, it does result in power for ministry, right? And it does draw a crowd, but it's another thing. It's one thing to have a crowd. It's another thing to have the cloud of God's presence over your life. So the anointing will draw crowds, but that's the false finish line. So what does this look like? So by the time I was studying this, I saw, uh, I was looking at uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous back in the day. Y'all remember that show with Robin Leach, right? And he was interviewing this guy who was like a gazillionaire. (laughs) And he was interviewing him, and we was talking to him about uh, this this new wife of his he married. And so for he and his wife, he decided to buy a perfume factory that was already built. He buys the perfume factory and has Mm -hmm. He stops them from making all of the fragrances. All they did was to make one fragrance, and that was for he and his wife. Wow. And he hired a man named Yves Saint Laurent to design to to design a fragrance just for them. And then he bought the rights to that fragrance away from Yves Saint Laurent, so that nobody else can have that fragrance. So I'm thinking, hey, God, you know what a waste. And the Lord said, No, you don't understand. See, when that woman has that fragrance on, and she has some, she's at some dinner party. Before she ever steps into the room, if the air conditioning is blowing the right way, her fragrance comes into the room. And every eye turn, and that that husband knows that that's his beloved because there's not another person on the face of the earth that has that fragrance. That's the same way for you. You are anointed. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And when you have that anointing on your life, you you have a fragrance on you that releases something in the unseen realm. Wow. All right I'll take a little bit more time with this. see the only thing that's keeping downtown New York from looking like Planet of the Apes. <laughs> the only thing that keeps it from looking like Planet of the Apes is your scent. Yeah. All right You go out into the country, especially like in Texas, you know in Dallas or whatever we see squirrels. We go out into the East Texas in the country you can't find a squirrel you know why because of the scent of human flesh right your scent releases some creation scientists say it like this encoded in the dna of every animal is the remembrance of adam's scent wow. right but when that scent is associated with help instead of harm that animal whether it be a circus elephant or a tiger in a circus, they'll lend their power over to the influence of that one person's scent. Because we have authority. They have power, but we have authority. Same thing in the spirit realm. Luke 10, 19, where it says, behold, I've given you power to travel over serpents and scorpions and all manner of power, the enemy, and nothing so many enemies harm you. That first word for power is not dunamis, it's exousia. Behold, I've given you exousia. Exousia means right, rule, authority, and delegated influence. To tread over serpents and scorpions and all manner of the dunamis power of the enemy. And nothing shall by enemy's harm. In other words, the enemy has dunamis, but we have a Zeusia over his dunamis. We have authority over his power. Right Now, don't use your authority the wrong way. You show up in your neighbor's yard and tell it to sit and smack it upside the head, you're going to get bit. Same thing in the spirit realm. So in other words, you your aroma of life to those who are living and aroma of death to those who are perishing, 2 Corinthians 2.14, and everything in the spirit realm, when they see you, they smell that anointing. Angels smell it, and they go, oh, God, is that the Lord? No, that's one of his anointing ones. Let's stick around and see what God wants us to do with their prayers. All the demons in the room that are around, they go, oh, God, it's one of them. Are there any pigs around? They start planning their exit strategies. When you show up, because you're anointed, it's like going from a handsaw to a buzz saw. You preach, you're under the anointing, whoosh, something powerful happens. But the anointing was first and foremost so we could be set apart to minister unto the Lord, not just ministering for the people. And what happens is because when folks sometimes we get anointed. Here's the deal. You can be either be an anointed influencer that leads people to the Lord, or you can be a perfume seductress that draws people to yourself. Wow. And you can have a crowd without the cloud. What does that look like? Turn with me to Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel 44. Ezekiel 44, starting at... Ezekiel 44, starting at verse 10. So this guy's judging the priesthood here. And this is one of the most peculiar passages in the Bible. One priesthood, they decided to, uh, they operated in compromise, and they actually led Israel astray. And God judges them, and guess what their judgment was? Check it out. Ezekiel 44, verse 10. And the Levites who have gone astray from me, they went away from him. When Israel went astray, which went astray away from me after their idols. In other words, they brought idolatry in. They shall even bear their iniquity. Yet they shall be menaces in my sanctuary. Having charged at the gates of the house and ministering to the house, they shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people. Everybody say for the people for the people and they shall stand before them to minister unto them because they ministered unto them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity therefore i have lifted up my hand against them says the lord and they shall bear their iniquity and they shall not come near unto me to do the office of priest unto me nor to come near to any of my holy things in the holy place but they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have Committed, But I will make them keepers of the charge of the house for all the service of and for all that should be done therein. Isn't that crazy? So they operated the idolatry. They led the nation astray. They went astray when the nation went astray. So the Lord says, "Okay, here's the deal. Every priest had to be anointed. But under the anointing that they had, their judgment was they had to do the ministry without intimacy with God. The ministry was a judgment, and they had to minister for the people. They didn't say to the people. It says for the people. You know what it means by that? They had to minister for them. In other words, they had to earn their approval. They had to earn the people's acceptance. They had to jump through all the people's hoops. They were ruled by the opinions of people all the time. They had to look and make sure they were saying all the right things on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> made sure they didn't offend that one person who has the most money in their church or whatever. They were totally bound by the opinions of people, and they were ruled by the fear of man instead of the fear of the Lord. But they were anointed. You can have a crowd without the cloud. Because the anointing draws people. But then look at these next set of people. Verse 14. Verse 15. But the priests of the Levites, the sons of Zadok, that kept the charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near unto me, to minister unto me, and they shall stand before me to offer unto me the fat and the blood, declares the Lord. They shall enter to my sanctuary, they shall come near to my holy table, to minister unto me, and they shall keep my charge. And it shall come to pass that when they enter into the gates of the inner court, they shall be clothed with linen garments. No wool shall be upon them while they minister in the gates of the inner court and within. They shall have linen bonnets upon them, upon their heads, and they shall have linen breeches upon their loins, and they shall not gird themselves with anything that shall make them sweat. It's fascinating, right? So, yeah, they're anointed. They're anointed. And they're basically carrying out the same functions as these other guys publicly from what everybody else could see. But they're not ministering for the people. They're ministering to the Lord. You know why it doesn't say for the Lord? They get to minister to the Lord. In other words, they already had his approval. They already had his acceptance. They already had his grace upon their life. So they minister to the Lord under their anointing. In an intimacy with the Lord, they minister to the Lord. But as they minister to the Lord, they serve the people. And that's what you're supposed to do with your anointing. Like that woman I was talking about with the the fragrance on her. If her husband asked her to walk across the room with her anointing on and go get her a cup, go get him a cup of coffee. As she walked across the room, everybody would see and smell that fragrance. But then as she got that cup of coffee, she would leave everybody right right back over to the object of of her affection. That's what you're called to do with your anointing. As you seek to please the Lord, you leave everybody right back over to the object of your affection. But what if that husband says, honey, will you give my friend a cup of coffee? If it pleases him to do it, yeah, she'll do it. So she'd go and grab that cup of coffee, and she'd give it to the friend, and then she said, this came from my husband. So as she's pleasing him, she's serving others. That's what we're called to do under the anointing. But here's the deal. When we start to seek to seek to please people, None of the anointing, even. We seek to please people, sooner or later, we will stop serving God. So, God is coming to break the fear of man off the treasure and break that religious spirit off of us. God, would you give us no sweat ministries in this hour? Because the scary thing, there were two ministries going on at the same time at that time period. They were doing the same functions in front of everybody, both were anointed. And the only way you could tell the difference is one was sweating and the other one wasn't. That's what's going on right now. So, God, I ask, give, please give me a no sweat ministry. <laughs> break the fear of man off of me. Break the fear of man off of us. God, break that man, please, in spirit off of us in this hour. I want to be set apart under you. I'll give you a good example of somebody who did set apart under the anointing. Go to Mark chapter 14. Mark 14. This is the story of Mary. Mark 14. This is round Passover. Check this out. Verse 1, after two days after the feast of Passover and the unleavened bread, the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might to take him, Jesus, by stealth or by craft and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. Verse 3, and being in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, as they sat to meet, there came a woman having an alabaster of ointment, a spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. There were some that, it, that were indignant within themselves and says, why was this perfume made? Why was this ointment made or poured out or wasted? For it might have been sold for more than a 300 denarii, 300 pence, and given to the poor, and they murmured against her. But Jesus said to them, Let her adult, let her alone, why trouble ye her? She has wrought a good work unto me. I like the way the amplifier says it. What she, is, what she has done is a beautiful thing unto me. For you have the poor with you always, and whatever you have, do them good. But will you not have me always? She had done what she, what she could. She come beforehand to anoint my body for the berry. This is a powerful, powerful verse. So what's going on here is Mary with her anointing, and she's ministering to the Lord, to the Lord. They said this was this perfume was worth a whole year's wages, right? So a whole year's wages, the average American makes like, what, fifty five, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a year? Ima- imagine $60,000 worth of perfume. And why would she have this perfume? Most scholars say that this is Mary Magdalene, who's the former prostitute. And what they're saying is this, is that, this perfume was the perfume that she had set aside for her wedding night, right? Now, why would a former prostitute have perfume set aside for a wedding night? Well, what she's probably doing is she's probably set up a different system of awards because she's being abused by people over and over again. And set up in that situation, she thought, you know what? One day, I'm going to meet the man that's going to make all of this worth it. So she would set aside money until she could buy the perfume that she could save for her wedding night. So it was her way to disassociate from the encounter that she was in. Be vulnerable and tell you just one of my horrible stories from my backslidden days in college. I'm 57 now, but in the 80s, I remember I was a student in Atlanta in college. went with some friends to a strip club. We were a little tipsy, and they're in the club, and one of my friends pays for one of the young ladies to come over and dance at our table. And we began to talk to her, but as we began to talk to her, she began to answer us. She began to answer questions we weren't even talking to her about. She was having a different conversation with us, not even connected to the things we were saying to her. And all of a sudden, my little Michelob, I mean, that little buzz was gone because I realized, oh, my God, she is so humiliated being in this place. She can't be here. She's disassociated herself. And so she's totally checked out. She's have, She has to have a, a different conversation in her head because she feels so humiliated. She can't be in this place. So in order to be here, she's done this, created a different conversation to check out. That's what Mary has done in this situation. She's all this time eliciting encounter after illicit encounter being taken advantage of by all these men over and over again. And she's at Simon the leper's house. Who's Simon the leper? You read all these different accounts. Simon the leper was formerly a Pharisee, but he got leprosy and Jesus healed him. So Jesus heals him. And so he decides to invite Jesus to his house. What did he not do? He didn't anoint his head because the first thing a Jewish person would do when somebody came to their home after walking in the hot sun, they would take a little oil and put it on the base of their neck as a, as a greeting and wipe it on the base of their neck and then give them a holy kiss. He didn't do that. The other thing they would do is was wash his feet and he didn't do that. Why did he not do that? He's basically using Jesus as he's just using Jesus and he's putting a, a ladder on his back to be the person that gets him back into his relationship with the Pharisees. You ever have somebody put a ladder on your back and it's not about you, it's about all the other people that you know and they want to social climb you? So he's social climbing and he's like he treats Jesus with the same disdain as the Pharisees. Even though he healed him, he's like, yeah, I mean, he healed me, but you know. I mean, I know him, he did this thing, but yeah. I mean, we kind of do the same thing, don't we? We're getting certain services. We're getting certain meetings. We get out of here and get into the workplace, and people ask us about this is Jesus that we know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it helped change my life around. But anyway, back to the spreadsheet. Nothing wrong with the spreadsheet. But don't deny or disqualify what he's done in your life. You're going to have the fear of man. You're going to have the fear of the Lord. So anyway, so in this situation, she sees that Jesus is being used, and game recognizes game. Mary knows what it's like to be used, so she goes home at this. You know, walking by the window. That's how I picture. She walks by the window. is like, nah, he's not to be used. He's to be adored. So she goes home and she grabs this costly perfume, cause she's thinking, I'm never ever gonna meet another man that's ever gonna mean this much to me. And she takes that costly oil and she pours it out all. Over Jesus. Because he's meant to be adored and not used. And the disciples, even then, they had a consumer mentality. Like, Oh, what a waste. We could have used that. We could have used that. Jesus said, leave her alone. What she's doing unto me is a good and beautiful thing. Do we have to shrink wrap everything in the body of Christ and sell it? Some of these prophetic songs, man, they need to be burnt offerings. Wow. Not every sermon needs to become another book that we can use to make money. Some things have intrinsic value, and we just need to love him for who he is and not expect anything in return. And so that's what's being confronted in that situation. So he, she breaks this alabaster box out there. What she's doing under me is a good and beautiful thing. It's the same thing when y'all come up and worship. Sometimes people say, "Ah, oh, doesn't take all that. It doesn't take all that crying. do not take all those tears. What's that all about?" They don't know what the Lord has delivered you from. <laughs> they don't understand the reason for your praise. And Jesus will say to all the other religious folks with their lemon juice, looking at you, saying, "Leave alone." What they're doing unto me is a good and beautiful. I love her fasting. I love his worship. I love their tears. Leave him alone. Because when you minister unto the Lord, that's when you go to the next level in this thing. That's when the glory realm shows up. But you can't get to that realm without dealing with the smoke smell smoke the 33rd day of this extended fast I was on this year I had an account I've never experienced before related to the priesthood at the time I was pretty cantankerous I was angry <laughs> and uh, yeah well, I've been fasting you know when you're fasting like you can't suppress anger and little things that get on your nerves they just c- creep up there really easy Probably so you can confess and repent. So it's the 33rd day of the fast, and I'm coming out of my my bedroom to go to a prayer meeting, and all of a sudden I start coughing because I smell smoke, like thick, like firewood smoke burning. You know, you've heard smoke burn your lungs. That's what I, it's burning my lungs. Like, what is this? And uh, I was actually a little mad because I was concerned about my money because the fire department had come to our house about Two months earlier because the the, four, the my yeah my my, my sons left the shower on the steam set off the fire alarm. I mean they came out the fire department, they were nice, but you do that too often, they're gonna find you. So I'm thinking about my money. <laughs> and I've been fasting. So I said to my wife, the haven said, Hey, you know, you got a fire on. It's too hot for a fire, first of all. She loves a fireplace. She's an East Coast girl, so she loves fireplaces. <laughs> I was like, it's too hot for a fire. Why are you burning a fire in the fireplace? At least open up the flute so that the smoke goes up the chimney. She said, okay, hold on. There's no wood in the house, and there's no fire in the fireplace. I said, well, look, you're on the phone again, and you got something on the stove, and you forgot you have something. You're about to burn the house down. She said, first of all, there's nothing on the stove. Your attitude sucks. Repent. But I was like, but I'm, I'm taking in smoke. You know, I'm coughing. So I checked to see if the iron was on, you know, and it was plugged in. It was cold. I get in the car. I'm driving along, and all of a sudden I start coughing again because I smell this smoke. It's burning my lungs. So I called the and I was like, is there something wrong with the car? And the said this to me. She said, Mr. Ford, what if you're on fire? But then I heard the Lord say this, I'm looking for a living sacrifice. When I heard that, honestly, I we- I, we- I wept for two or three days. Then I realized God had, had me in a study on the priesthood, and I had never considered all the smoke. I mean, yeah, it's Romans 12 where it says, what? I beseech you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living, yeah, holy and blameless before the Lord. This is your reasonable service of worship, right? But to understand that, you have to understand what, the sacri- what a sacrifice was back then. The priesthood was a whole lot more smokier than I realized. I was looking at when David brought back the ark. Y'all remember the story? Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the, the, the ark of the covenant. He gets smoked. David tries to figure out, how do I bring back the ark of God to me? So from Obed-Edom's house all the way to Mount Zion, it's 10 miles. And scholars say that They went and they grabbed that ark, and it had to be carried, what, on the priest's shoulders. We're not going to carry the glory of God using man-made methods, even today. There's a certain way we have to handle the holy things of the Lord in the fear of the Lord. But those with the fear of the Lord get to carry the glory of God. And so can you imagine, six people has to carry this. So it's probably four on each side, two on each side here, two here, one in back and one in front. And they're carrying the ark of the covenant. And the last guy got split in half. So you can imagine these guys are like, hey, okay, we're not going to lose anybody this time. We got to do this thing together. Can I tell you, Life Center, y'all going to have to carry this thing together. It's not going to be the one man show. The generations are going to be joined together. The ethnicity is going to be joined together. We're going to carry this thing together. So they're carrying it all together in unison. And they're like, hey, Ichiro, how's your side? Hey, Martinez, what's your side look like? Rabinowitz, what's your side look like? <laughs> hey, Jackson, what's your side? You know, I've got to get everybody in there, right? <laughs> and then in unison, they get up, one, two, they, six steps, stop, and then they offered up a sacrifice of a bull and a calf. Now, some scholars actually teach that David did that all the way for the entire 10 miles. The Bible doesn't say that, but there's kind of an inference to it. And so I was looking at that. I was like, because uh, I'm, I'm kind of a, a Bible geek like that, I thought, what would it take? 10 miles. How many steps are in 10 miles? 30,000. 30,000 steps. If they stopped every six paces, that's 5,000 stops to op- offer up a calf and an oxen. That's 10,000 animals. So I was like, how many priests did he have that walked along with him? Hundreds. He wouldn't take hundreds. Well, he did. He had hundreds of priests that walked along with him. So this thing probably, if that's what happened, this was like a Chisholm Trail cattle drive of priests and 10,000 cattle. And if you had like a drone or a helicopter overhead looking at everything, you would see a trail of blood, fire, and smoke for 10 miles. If that's how he did it. But the smoke, too, from the offerings going up. So I was like, well, what did what does Solomon do? When Solomon dedicated the temple, literally, this is what the Bible says, Solomon offered up 22,000 oxen, double that of what David would have done, and he offered up 120,000 sheep and goat, maybe because he heard about what his father did. So I was studying that. So the deal is this. Every time there was an offering of these animals, when God saw and smelled the smoke, the Bible says there was a sweet savor in the nostrils of the Lord. You know why? Every time God smelled burning flesh, he knew his priests who were joined together with him were working on him, God being joined together with others because the priests, as they offered up these sacrifices, as the smoke went up, God would smell it and say, oh, somebody is repenting. Somebody is confessing. And now I can come closer to my children. Then I realized The first time God revealed himself to the nation of Israel, you know what he revealed himself as? Smoke. Exodus 19, we read it there. What did he say? He said, Moses, for all these people I just delivered, I want to make them a nation of priests. Nation of priests. So then Exodus 20, he brings them to Mount Sinai, this same mountain where he met Moses. Instead of just being in a burning bush, God's going to reveal himself for who he really is. That's what he wants to do. Before he takes anybody into a deeper level of intimacy with him, he reveals who he is in all of his raw fullness so we know who we're dealing with. He's holy. Right? And so to even protect them from his glory breaking out on them and killing them, he had them consecrate themselves with fasting, washing their clothes, no marital relations, three days. So they would consecrate themselves, and then they would come come out to meet the Lord. And so, but here's what the Bible says in Exodus 20. It says, but when they saw the trumpet, they heard the trumpet blast. They saw the mountain mountain quaking and shaking. They felt the ground quaking. And then the Bible says, but when they saw all the smoke, the people said, we're good. Moses and Aaron, y'all represent us. And from that moment on, listen, that moment on, the nation of Israel, God's people in particular, would be never referred to as a nation of priests again until the New Testament. First Peter 2 and 9, we have chosen race, a royal priesthood. God wanted that royal priesthood then. He had a longing to be joined together with all of them, not just Moses and Aaron who are, who are Levites. That was to be represented for everybody. But the people chose to use that consecration. Yeah, they were consecrated, but but they they forfeited the reward of their consecration. The reward of their consecration wasn't clothes they, they couldn't wear three days ago or three weeks ago. The reward of their consecration wasn't even better conversations in their marriage. The reward of their consecration wasn't better white clothes. The reward of their consecration was all the smoke, deeper levels of intimacy with God. But what they did was they used their consecration like lemon juice, and hope that God wouldn't see the surveillance reel of all the stuff they had done in their life. Because that's what happens. religious spirit comes over you when you have the fear, when you're afraid of the Lord, and you don't have the fear of the Lord. There's a difference. When you're afraid of the Lord, you won't be transparent. You won't be vulnerable. But Moses, the Bible said, he had the fear of the Lord, and he went deeper into all the smoke. And from that moment on, Moses knew God's ways, but the children of Israel only knew God's acts. In other words, they knew God through answered prayer. But Moses knew what to pray and why. So the fear of the Lord is different from being afraid of the Lord. The fear of the Lord says this, Lord, I see you and I'm awe of who you are. And I'm so afraid of living my life without you. I don't want to live my life without you. That's the fear of the Lord. And that's what God is looking for right now. He's looking for people who want all the smoke. All the smoke. So what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Jesus showed us what it is to be a living sacrifice. Jesus, we, we know what, we, we surmise about what happened with David and those t- that 10-mile walk. But we know that Jesus, for a mile and a half on the Via Dolorosa, that Passover, As he carried the cross, he released in the spirit realm blood, fire, and smoke for a mile and a half. He he comes before Caiaphas, Caiaphas the high priest. He's there, and uh, Caiaphas gets very frustrated with Jesus and his answers. And so it says that Caiaphas tore his tunic; (laughs) he tears his. Every Messianic rabbi that you talk to would tell you that when Caiaphas tore his tunic, he disqualified himself for being the high priest that Passover. Guess who the high priest is that Passover? Jesus is. He had the same tunic on, but it was never torn. They shot dice for it. His tunic wasn't torn that day. And then he's also anointed to be high priest. Guess who anointed him? Mary. Mary. She pours that anointing on him two days before Passover. And as thick as that perfume was, he could still smell it. So when they offered him up the sponge to anesthetize his pain, he said, oh, I'm good. Cause he smelled that anointing when Mary ministered unto him. And he's thinking, I'm finally going to be joined together with my priesthood. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the suffering of the cross because he had all of us in mind. Yes, he was pleased in the Father, but now he's thinking, I'm finally going to be joined together with a nation of priests. And they're going to become living sacrifices before me. So, the time of that sacrifice for the Passover that day, they will offer up the lambs, the Passover lamb. And the priest had to stand with his hands raised while it was being burned. And when it was finally extinguished from being burned, he would raise his hands and say, "Zenigmar." Well, guess who also had their hands raised on a cross? Jesus, our great high priest, was also the sacrificial lamb. He was the Passover lamb. He still is our Passover lamb now. And he said while he was on the cross, it is is finished. Guess what Zaynagemar means? It is finished. So, my father, my father worked at the packing house. It's called Swift Packing House in Fort Worth, Texas in the 50s and the 60s. He used to slaughter cattle. And uh, he never got promoted to the place where he could slaughter, you know, cows. But he got promoted to the place where he slaughtered goats, sheeps, and lambs. My father said he had a horrible anger problem. And he would, when he was, before he got saved, he would just take all of his frustrations out on the animals. Not just he, but other guys who worked there. They were having a bad day or whatever. They would just take a sheep or a cow or whatever and just pummel it. He would do that to the goats, but then he had, he got one of the sheep one day, got one of the lambs, he said, and he hit it in his ribs and it broke his ribs. But it wouldn't say anything. Other, other animals would bellow or yell or yelp. Didn't say a word. Then he broke its leg and it wouldn't say anything. And he showed it to his coworker and they both beat this thing broke ribs, never said a word. And he noticed that as sheep and lambs, as they're being led to the slaughter, the other animals, the cows, the goats, I mean, they know something's going on, so they're a little stirred up or whatever. And, uh, you know, they're resistant. And they have to prod them through the chute to go to the slaughter. But the sheep and the lambs just go right along. They never say a word. My father went to church One day, finally, a young man, he's invited to church, goes to a little Baptist church. And the pastor happened to be preaching that day about how Jesus was the Lamb of God, led like a lamb to the slaughter. And he didn't say a word. That's what the Bible says. My father understood that. But then he thought about all of his ugly, sinful things that he'd done in his life that he had done to the Lord, where he pummeled it. With his sin and with his shame. And that's what my that my dad gave his life to the Lord under that message. Because he had a revelation, he had an understanding of what it is about the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. And he also learned what it is to be a living sacrifice. So Paul said, Would I die daily? <laughs> yeah, you take it your cross, you come and get him. So that's one level of understanding this. But as a priest, when you minister to the Lord, that's when the Lord shows up to do ministry. The cloud of his glory shows up. And when the glory realm shows up, we don't have a job anymore. The presence comes and God does all the work. Tell you this last story and then we'll pray. So I remember I got burned by religion pretty bad. I went to to a church that was very religious. And we we believed that nobody could go to heaven except for the folks that went to our church that didn't have instruments. No instruments in the church and all this other stuff. So I left from that because I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. They didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But then I went to a charismaniac church that was more legalistic than the other church. So I went from don't raise your hands to you better raise your hands. Don't speak in tongues, to you better speak in tongues. Well, here's what was going on in both instances those pastors. When people are real legalistic like that, they have other areas of their life that are out of control. And both were involved in secret sin that all got exposed years later. But I decided I was going to know all the principles about God and learn the Bible, but I was going to forget about all this other stuff. So I went to a cemetery of a seminary. We actually taught in our cemetery, seminary that uh, he taught that the only way revival was going to come is when the it was when the layperson learned Greek and Hebrew. <laughs> yeah, how's that working? But anyway, <laughs> so I was in there, and my sister went to this revival meeting that well, she just got lit up like a Christmas tree. Now she was the one person in our family who was like the person who, uh, like like the scapegoat. Okay, my other sisters were on fire. I forgot my sister; she didn't care about any of that stuff. But she went to this one church and just just something changed big time on her. She's like, you got to come. The presence of the Lord is so strong. It's like the glory of God is in this place. I don't understand that what that meant at the time. So I was like, look, you know, these same kind of manifestations happen in other things. I'm going to show you how wrong all this stuff is. So we prayed for 20 minutes. I put my lemon juice on. Showed up, sat down with my Greek-Hebrew key study Bible, pulled out my notepad, and I'm going to show her how wrong all this stuff is. All of a sudden, the worship leader came out to sing, and the glory of God (laughs) fell in the room like this weighty presence. And all of a sudden, I felt electricity hit me on the top of my head, and it went to the soles of my feet. And I felt the love of God in such a deep, profound way. I felt like this weighty, weighty presence on me for three days. Three days. Nothing happened to my sister that day. It, was, it, was, it was. I got wrecked. I spent the next three months in Scripture, and I realized 2 Chronicles chapter eight, where the glory of God came into the temple as smoke. And the priest couldn't stand to minister because of the glory. The word for glory there is kabod. It means weighty presence. That's what I believe God wants to do through Life Center. He's looking for some people who want all the smoke. Who's looking for people who are willing to say, God, I don't know everything there is to know about revival or even you. But all I know is I got to have more of you. I want to go deeper in intimacy and fellowship with you. And if you're longing to be joined together with me, answer my longing to be joined together with you. Because we're never, ever going to meet another man that's ever going to mean to us as much as you mean to us, Jesus. Stand to your feet. So, Father, we, we, we do come before you right now. First, Lord, Ask forgiveness for my religious spirit. Just my religious, thinking I know it all. Yes, Lord, yeah, we can't even scratch the surface to know all there is to know about the God of the universe yeah. and his love for us. Lord, would you teach us to fear of the Lord? Psalm 25 14. NFC with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. He makes them to know his covenant. God, we want to know your covenant in the fear of the Lord. Take us deeper. Everybody talks about revival fire, but I hear the Lord saying, who wants to be revival fuel? He's looking for a living sacrifice. If that's you, come forward. God, we just we want all the smoke. We want all the smoke, God. We want all the smoke. We yield our bodies today, God. I know if you want to kneel, if you want to whatever, you want to stand, whatever that looks like. So Holy Spirit, come. Where there's smoke, there's fire. God, release your fire. Release the fire of your presence. Burn away everything that hinders love. God, we refuse to have crowds without cloud. Moses said it best. You told him. Moses, you can go ahead and go. I'll give you success. I'll send my angel. You can take that crowd of people into the promised land, and I'll give you the promised land. But Moses said, oh, no, if your presence doesn't go up with us, do not take us up from this place. He refused to have a crowd without the cloud. God, we same thing for us. Show us your glory. God, there has to be something on your people that distinguishes us from all the other people on the earth. We need your glory. We need the kabod. We refuse to settle for false finish lines. Would you break the fear of the Lord off, the fear of man. Break the fear of man off of us. Break off that man-pleasing spirit and show us your glory.
0: We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.